Good morning, church family. This is the time in our service when we typically invite you to stand in reverence of the reading of God's word. But this morning, we're going to do things a little differently. Um, I'd like to invite you to remain seated, and I'm not even going to ask you to open your Bible this morning. Um, Instead, we want to invite you to to close your eyes and really just lean in um, as we read the word this morning. Romans 8, 31 through 39 says, What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love, Lord. Father, as we continue in worship this morning, I pray that you would um, just prepare our hearts, open our minds to hear the word. Lord, would you just speak boldly through Jacob this morning? Allow us to lean in and to be changed by your great love. We love you, Lord. Amen. Well, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our King. Uh, Church family, my heart is just, as I'm holding it now, my my heart is just so warmed getting to be with you all this morning. There has not been one moment that I have not cherished being with you all. In fact, every single time I walk into this sanctuary, I'm reminded of the reverence of the Father And how he has adopted me as a son alongside you all, my family in Christ. This place and space has been a living room to me. And I'm grateful that the father draws his kids here. I'm so grateful that the father draws his kids here. If I have not met you yet, my name is Jacob Bell. I get to serve alongside you all, the church at Lachlan Springs, as the minister in residence. Uh, my bride and my partner in ministry is the one who just came up here to read the text. Uh, her name is Catherine Bell. And we have the wonderful opportunity uh, to love on college students here and love on the college students that live at Treveca Nazarene University. And if some of you know, uh, Catherine and I live at Treveca. Treveca is the place that we call home. But it is also the place we are learning how to be at home in the presence of God. 
About three weeks ago, uh, Catherine and I moved into a different apartment on Trevecca's campus. It would be our third move in the last year. Um, we, we've just been feeling as if we are always moving. It just feels like the season that we're constantly in. But this new apartment that we've moved into has been pretty sweet because it has been the birthplace of my profound passion for HGTV and Fixer Upper. It has been a uh, fun, it has been fun uh, for me. In fact, Catherine would make faces at me when I'm talking to the people that are uh, working in our apartment and she can hear me say, well, you know, if we just put some hardwood floors uh, right over here and we put some light fixtures uh, right on top of the ceiling, maybe blow up that wall just a little bit. Maybe we'd have a little bit of an open concept uh, in this place. Uh, it's been fun. <laughs> just being in that new space has been really fun for me. But also the last few weeks, uh, Holy Spirit has been stirring in Catherine and I a passion for prayer. In fact, during that time as we were moving, and we just felt like we were always moving, God was whispering to us a little bit about his character. It was being in a stillness and being at home in his presence that God told us, Hey, I am the God who is always on the move. And it's because of that profound reality that we just wanted to draw close to him because he's the only one who can make a move in our church and the only one who can make a move in our city. In fact, last week we had several uh, people from across our family of churches just to seek the mercy of the Lord together. And as we were just praying together, drawing close to Jesus I heard prayers that were from a broken heart, that were prayers for people who were suffering in different parts of the nations, uh, with the nations. But at the same time, I was hearing a heart that was delighting in the Lord, rejoicing because he is always on the move. And during that time, I could not help but think about this passage because this passage is, is written for that same people, a people that believes that God is on the move. And church, this passage, oh my gosh, just the weight of this passage is about God's deep, deep love for us. It is the encouragement that we need that's filled with hope. It is the excitement that we need that's filled with joy. It is the great crescendo of the new song that God has been playing throughout these last couple of chapters as we have been in this summer series. In church, that new song is about our Jesus. And that new song's lyrics is about how deep his love is for us. And it is out of that love that I have for my Jesus that I am so compelled uh, to share with you the exciting news that's in this text. But before I do, let me pray real quick. Father, thank you for already going before this people. Thank you for already loving them. Father, I, I confess that my where I am in my own humanity right here on this platform, Lord. It's not about me, so can you get that, that flesh out of me? It's not about me. No, no flesh shall glory in your presence. It's all about you. So, Lord, would, would your bride, would your beloved hear that this text is all about you and how deep your love is for them? Father, would you search out the lost kids that are in this place? Would you take off your robe and put it on them? 
And would you love them with a love that is like no other? Because it isn't. I pray this in the name of our Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, Paul, let's get right into it. Paul goes right off the bat and asks the question in verse 31, what then are we to say about these things? Now, the these things that Paul is talking about is actually what we were talking about uh, in the last couple of Sundays in this sermon series, uh, specifically verses, uh, verses and chapters uh, five through eight. In chapters five through eight of Romans, Paul is saying, hey, you know, uh, you have been buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. Uh, he said that uh, even though we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He said the righteous will live in Christ uh, by faith alone. He has said that you have received a spirit of adoption and are called co-heirs with Christ And it's these things that Paul has been mentioning in those chapters that remind us that we belong in Christ because of Christ. Now, church, there is a scholar that once said, we have done nothing uh, to receive salvation except for the sin that made it necessary. Church, we do not deserve salvation. But as 1 Corinthians 130 says, it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. It is because of Christ that we are in Christ, that he is our righteousness, that he redeems us, that he sanctifies us, and thanks be to God, one day we will be in glory with him. That is, it's all because of him. That has been the main theme of this entire Roman series. It hasn't even remotely been about us. The entire theme of Romans 5 through 8 and the entire letter of Romans is about the righteousness of God through the faithfulness of Jesus. That is the theme that Paul is writing out for us in this book in Romans. And That's why he is able to go to this next question and ask it kind of hypothetically. Um, In verse, uh, let's look at here. In verse 31 through 32, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Church, think, think, think think, think about Paul. He knows this Jesus, right? He knows this God. He knows that This God is for him. He knows that he has been called a son adopted in Christ. He knows about the forgiveness of sins and the redemption of sins through Jesus. He knows that he has been adopted as a son and therefore has sealed, has received the sealed promise of the Holy Spirit. Paul knows this God. That's why he's able to say, well, who is against me if this God is for me? I know this Jesus. If, you, if, I, if I know him, who could be against me? Church, family of God, do you know this Jesus? Do you know this Jesus? Do you know that he has not come to give you shame, but to give you salvation in him? Do you know him? When I think about those, these questions, I think about the story uh, in the book of John 
where Jesus comes into the center of the courtyard of the temple, and there is this woman who is caught in sin, and the teachers of the law bring her to the center uh, of the temple, and Jesus walks in, uh, walks into the court, uh, court, uh, not courtroom, courtyard, and the teachers of the law go and say, hey, this woman was caught in adultery. The law says that we should stone her. And Jesus says, as he is drawing something in the sand, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. And immediately those stones are dropped. And the only two standing in the center is just the woman and Jesus. And Jesus says to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Church, no no one can be against you because no one can. It's only you and Jesus. Even while we were still sinners and even while we are caught up in our sin, Jesus stands alone and says, hey, I already love you. I already love you. And if that's not enough for you, Jesus on the cross with his outstretched arms says, hey, I love you still. I love you still. Oh, how much he loves us. But for some of you, you might be thinking, but Jacob, I am struggling right now. Where is Jesus right now? Does he still love me? Is he still loving me right now? And the answer is in this book. The answer is in the passage that we're in. Verse 34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Church, Jesus is on the right hand of the Father and is talking to the Father. He's saying, hey, I know know him. I know her. I love them. He is praying for us, interceding for us right now. And in Hebrews Uh, Chapter 7, verse 25, uh, the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. I mean, church, let's let's think about that for a second. Jesus, the the Holy One, the One who is the mediator of the New Covenant, uh, the Alpha and the Omega, the conqueror of sin and death. He's the One who is praying to the Father, hey, I love Him. Hey, I love her, and I want them to know me. That's our Jesus. That is who our Jesus is, that He intercedes on behalf of us. He intercedes on behalf of us. Maybe you're like me, and oftentimes you forget how much Jesus loves you. This has been something for me this, the last couple of weeks as I've been struggling uh, with uh, things that have come across me. I'm just like, Jesus, do you still love me? Do, are you still for me? That's why Paul uh, prays in Ephesians 3 that he, he wants us to know the height, depth, length, and width of God's love for us. Because whatever we thought 
how deep God's love for us was, it goes so much deeper than that. I think about trees. I even think about the tree that's right in our courtyard. I think about how its roots show um, above ground, and I could naturally think, oh yeah, those roots are, like, they probably go pretty deep, right? Because it's a big tree. It's, it's, it has to go really deep. But in actuality, those Roots probably go so much deeper than what we could have imagined. And when I think about God's love and I think about where I am in my life, I think, well, yeah, of course God loves me. I mean, his, his love goes pretty deep for me. But no, his love goes so much deeper than that. Whatever, whatever I thought was God's love, it's grace upon grace. It's love upon love. It goes so much deeper than that. And that's why I love in Hebrews that says that, uh, that Jesus is able to save completely those who are the outermost, those who think that they're so far off from God that they cannot be saved because their sin and their brokenness is just, no, it, it, can't, it can't be redeemed. Some of you think that that love is not, it, it does not apply to you. Some of you think that that love is not deep enough to get to your brokenness and to get to your sin. But let me tell you right now, church, look at me. You are a child of God. Made in the image of God. You have value and you have worth. God knows even the deepest parts of you. He knows the deepest parts of you and says, hey, I'm not going to just leave you there. You can be redeemed. And good news, church. His love doesn't even reach, doesn't only reach to the outer parts of us. His love redeems us there. His love consumes us there. Because this Jesus, he's not bringing shame. He's bringing salvation to all. His, his, his agenda, his, his love is about restoring all people who put their trust in him. Jesus is still in the business for saving lives. Still in the business for saving lives. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, 12 through 16, Paul gives his testimony. It says, I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me the ministry. Even though I was, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And hear this church. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason. So that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. You're going to have to forgive me. I'm just, I'm just getting into it. It's hot up here. Um, Church, if you are that person who says, hey, I'm the worst of sinners. If you are that person right now this morning who is saying, I'm the worst of sinners. Look up, child of God. You have been declared worthy because Jesus is holy. God's love is for us all. There is no bounds to his compassion. No matter what you look like, no matter what your sin is, no matter what brokenness that you have, uh, that you feel is a, a part of you, his compassion is for everyone. God's love is for us and God's love is with us. Oh gosh, it's so, 
like even as I think about college students uh, that Catherine and I minister to, one of the things that their, their brokenness with anxiety or depression and trauma, the big question that they keep asking uh, us is just like, when do I have value? Hey, do I have worth? Do people see me? Church, Jesus sees you. If you need to hear that this morning, Jesus sees you. And he loves you. And his love is for you. No one can take that away. That love cannot separate from you. He loves you with such a deep love. Romans 8, verse 35. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? For some of you, it's not the topic of sin that gives you unease. It's the topic of suffering. But Paul is giving us encouragement in this passage. He's built up this letter to talk about Jesus to us, to tell us that he's the Holy One who has embraced suffering. And because that's the case, no one in this earth, no one on this earth, and no one in the spiritual realm will be able to separate his love from you. So let's read the rest of the chapter. Verse 35. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am persuaded neither death nor life, nor angels or rulers, or things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is able to say this because, I mean, man, this is, this is a Paul that is, has seen suffering. He has embraced suffering. This is the same Paul who in verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. This is a Paul that knows that there is going to be a glory that's revealed to us. And you might be wondering, what's that glory that Paul is talking about? Church, be blessed with the reading in in the book of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with him and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed. And the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Church, it's true that creation is groaning now. It's true that we are growing now. And some of us might be in so much pain that I just don't have any words to say in my prayers. And I can only trust that Holy Spirit is interceding for us. But that's why this passage in Romans is so encouraging. It's so exciting. Because those who aren't in Jesus, 
and who aren't in Christ, this, this text is kind of offensive. There's a lot of things going on that, man, I'm going to suffer? Like, real, like, this is offensive to my mind, my body, and soul. But to those who are in Christ Jesus, not only is this the most encouraging thing, this is the most uplifting thing that God's love is with us and no one can separate that love from me. God's going to walk with me. Church, your suffering is not wasted. God does not turn his eye away from your suffering. And some of you might think, well, I'm the only one who's suffering. But you're not. Jesus walks into, you, into your space, into your life. He stands alone with you and says, hey, I'm suffering with you. You're not alone. I'm here. Church, I'm here. You are not alone. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, that we are to rejoice in our suffering because that suffering leads to endurance and that endurance produces character and that character leads to hope. Church, do you have hope today? Do you, you know that our Jesus is no longer in the grave, right? Jesus is no longer there because he is living. He is our living hope. Therefore, his love is also not in the grave. His love is living with us right now. And that's why we're able to not only endure suffering, but rejoice in suffering because our Jesus walks with us. And I'm just seeing that picture in my mind that all, although I'm suffering in this life is nothing in comparison to the glory that I'm going to see my Jesus on the throne with, the, uh, with the, the beauty of the new city. Guys, church, he's making everything new. He's making everything new. That's why we're able to rejoice in suffering. Because he's making everything new. Nick Ripken, uh, the author of Insanity of Obedience, says if we spend our lives so afraid of suffering so averse to sacrifice that we would avoid even the risk of persecution or crucifixion, then we might never discover the true wonder, joy, and power of a resurrection faith. Ironically, avoiding suffering could be the very thing that prevents us from partnering deeply with the risen Jesus. N.T. Wright, a New Testament scholar and author of Surprised by Hope, says, even if the clouds of present suffering hide the sun for a while, the unshakable evidence of God's love is seen in Christ's death. Christ's death. Paul says to rejoice in suffering because church, Jesus is in the middle of bringing resurrection to where there has been crucifixion. Jesus is bringing resurrection to the places and spaces where there has been crucifixion. You are not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. When uh, Catherine and I and our friends uh, began to gather in our living room to pray for our city and pray for our church, uh, we were praying and Catherine ended up reading a psalm that really struck my soul. Uh, and that psalm was... Psalm 63 that says, God, you are my God. I eager, eagerly seek you. 
I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. Church, you need to be reminded that his faithful love is better than life. As I was diving in to this chapter in Romans 8, that's what I was convicted with. Jacob, even with your next steps, even what's happening in the next season, even what's going to happen in the next few months, hey, it doesn't matter. My love for you is greater than this life. No matter if it's angels or demons, whether it's life or death, whether it's height or depth or anything else on this earth, my faithful love is greater than life. Greater than life. Romans 8 is such a victory passage, church. It's a victory passage because Jesus has already won. He is already on his throne. He is already seated on his throne. He is already won. In fact, I remember thinking about how Jesus uh, talked about the church that, that the gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not be able to overcome the church. And church, if you think about this for a second, just the word picture of a gate already shows that hell is on the defensive. Why? Because Jesus has already overcome. Therefore, we can be a church that's empowered by the Holy Spirit, that can endure suffering, rejoice in suffering, and walk with him because our Jesus is alive, real, and his love is for us. Therefore, who can be against us? Who can be against us? Therefore, we are more than conquerors in Jesus because his love is greater than this life. I wanted to end this sermon just a little differently than how we would have, how we would normally do it, and how Catherine read the text in the beginning. We were we were sitting down and just hearing the word of the Lord, uh, but now as we have heard the text, and now as we have medi- meditated on the text and let it marinate in our souls, I'm going to go ahead and ask the worship team uh, to come uh, forward and come up here. Um, but we're going to do something a little differently. Since we have read this text together, I think the, the, the pinnacle, the most important thing is not any word that I can say about the text, but what the text says about itself. And that, it, that this text talks about how deep God's love is for us. So church, we're going to close in prayer by reading this text aloud by standing up and praying this text aloud specifically verses 37 through 39 and church hear this these verses are so powerful it's meant to be raised up like a banner raised up like a banner because our Jesus is not in the grave he's walking around the neighborhood so we get to join with him with this this word raised up this banner raised up because again our Jesus is not in the grave His love is not in the grave. His love is here. His love is for us. His love is with us. 
May revival spark in this place. May revival spark with the people that is the church at Lachlan Springs because these verses are real for us and these verses inspire us to walk with him. Will you pray and read verses 37 and 39, 37 through 39 with me? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.